You're listening to the N2K Space Network. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. We're all psyched for Psyche, and I thought we need to go with some metal puns or jokes to start our show with today. And I have a feeling I might regret this, but Alice, do you know any good ones? I do, Maria. Okay. The adjective for metal is metallic, but not so for iron, which is ironic, don't you think? Okay, thanks, Alanis. <laughs> what have I started? I got another one. Okay. All day long, I drill holes in metal and bolt them together. At first, it's boring. Then it's riveting. Uh, okay. I promise we won't let her do this for the rest of the show. You're such a party pooper. Today is the 13th of October. Happy 248th birthday to the U.S. Navy. I'm Maria Varmazes. I'm Alice Carruth, and this is T-Minus. NASA launches its Psyche mission. The SLS audit report is released, announcing a new contract. Maersk buys Starlink for 330 of its vessels. And Maria will be speaking to Dr. Chaz Miller from New Mexico State University's Astronomy Department about tomorrow's annular eclipse. On to today's Intelligence Roundup. Come on, feel the noise! It was no quiet riot for NASA's Psyche mission today, which successfully lifted off from Kennedy Space Center on its SpaceX Falcon Heavy ride this morning, and also has since successfully deployed. It's on its six-year, 2.2 billion-mile journey now to study the deep space asteroid Psyche, which has long caught the attention of astronomers for being really reflective— because it appears Psyche is almost all metal, which is weird because we usually think of asteroids as being more ice and rock and easy listening than heavy metal. What else is made of metal, though? Well, our planet's core. So Psyche's metal composition has some scientists theorizing that it could have been the start of a planet some time ago, and by studying it, 
we can hopefully better understand how our planet's core came to be. But that's just one theory, because Psyche could be made of rock and metal, or mostly all metal, or possibly something else entirely. We won't know until we can study it more closely. And on board Psyche are a multispectral imager, a gamma ray and neutron spectrometer, and a magnometer to help scientists do just that. So when will we start unraveling this metal mystery? Well, Psyche's average distance from the sun is three astronomical units, so it's not exactly close by. The mission to Psyche spacecraft will make a quick swing by Mars for a gravity assist in 2026, and then it's expected to arrive at Psyche herself, who is the width of Massachusetts minus Cape Cod, apparently, hanging out between Mars and Jupiter in 2029. NASA's Office of the Inspector General has released an audit of the space launch system known as SLS. NASA's total Artemis campaign costs are projected to reach $93 billion US dollars from fiscal year 2012 through 2025, with SLS program costs representing 26% of that total. In an effort to increase the affordability of Artemis, NASA is preparing to award a sole source services contract known as the Exploration, Production and Operations Contract to Deep Space Transport LLC, a newly formed joint venture of the Boeing Company and Northrop Grumman Services Corporation for the production, services integration and launch of at least five on up to 10 SLS flights beginning with Artemis V in 2029. Boeing and Northrop Grumman currently supply the SLS core and upper stages and boosters that power the SLS. The audit projects that a single SLS rocket produced under the new award will cost approximately $2.5 billion, a figure NASA hopes to reduce by 50% through workforce reductions, manufacturing and contracting efficiencies, and expanding the SLS's user base. The report warns that failure to achieve substantial savings will significantly hinder the sustainability of NASA's deep space human exploration efforts. You can read the full report by following the link in our show notes. European logistics company Maersk has announced that it will be adding SpaceX's Starlink to more than 330 container ships. The internet service is expected to be completed by early 2024 and is expected to provide internet speeds of 200 megabits per second. Maersk says the connections will bring significant benefits in terms of both crew welfare and business impact. The new deal follows positive testing on 30 Maersk vessels. And in another update for SpaceX's Starlink service, the space company has released a new website promoting Starlink for cell phone services. The Starlink director cell page boasts a tagline, seamless access to text, voice and data for long-term evolution or LTE phones across the globe. SpaceX says director cell will also connect Internet of Things or IoT devices with common LTE standards. The tech service is expected to roll out in 2024 with voice and data and IoT following in 2025. Stratolaunch has announced a contract with the U.S. Air Force Research Lab to conduct the first flight test of the company's second reusable Talon-A hypersonic test vehicle, also known as TA-3. Talon-A vehicles are rocket-powered, autonomous test beds with the ability to fly a variety of hypersonic flight profiles while carrying customized payload experiments on board. This is the second contract between Stratolaunch and AFRL, which supported the TA-1 launch late last year. No details about when the test flight would be held were shared in the press release. 
The United States and Singapore held the first bilateral space dialogue in Washington, D.C. earlier this week. The meeting was designed to strengthen bilateral exchanges and entrench cooperation in civil space matters. Both delegations were represented by a range of ministries and agencies involved in civil space activities. The nations discussed Earth observation, expanding cooperation on space-related use cases such as maritime domain, and joint efforts to promote the sustainability of the outer space environment. The discussions concluded with both nations agreeing to continue to work together and to explore joint research and development collaborations, policy discussions, industry engagements and educational exchanges. Telus Alenia Space has signed a partnership agreement with the Mongolia Ministry of Digital Development and Communications. The deal was signed in the presence of the President of Mongolia and the President of France during the Mongolian President's state visit to France. Telus Alenia Space will build a KU-band satellite to be named Chinggis Sat, after Mongolia's national hero Chinggis Khan, a.k.a. Genghis Khan, that will make high-speed internet available throughout Mongolia. The communications satellite will enable wider access to services such as telemedicine, e-learning, e-government services, and support the growth of high-value ad sectors of Mongolia's economy. And that concludes our briefing for today. You'll find links to further reading on all the stories we've mentioned in our show notes. And we've included a few extra. One on Cardiff University's involvement in the Lightbird Telescope and an opinion piece on what's next for Orbital Reef. They're all at space.n2k.com and click on this episode title. Hey, T-Minus crew. Tune in tomorrow for T-Minus Deep Space, our show for extended interviews, special editions, and deep dives with some of the most influential professionals in the space industry. And tomorrow we have Dr. Chaz Miller talking about the annular solar eclipse. Check it out while you're mowing the lawn, grocery shopping, folding laundry, maybe before the eclipse happens, or driving your kids to the game. You definitely don't want to miss it. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. So, Maria, I went to the Sunspot Solar Observatory in New Mexico this weekend, and I learned some really cool facts. Did you know that the Earth is the only planet in our solar system that experiences a solar eclipse? I honestly did not know that, no. So, apparently, the Sun, which is 400 times larger than our Moon, is also 400 times the distance away from the Earth, and that's what makes them appear to be the same size in our sky. Ah, okay. Well, Dr. Chaz Miller did not mention that when I spoke to him earlier this week, but I did talk to him about what causes an annular eclipse, and he got into the details with me. And Dr. Chaz Miller is from New Mexico State University's astronomy department, so he was the perfect person to walk me through it. On the 14th, we're going to see a solar eclipse. So that is when the moon passes between the Earth and the sun, so blocks out 
part or all of the sun. So the upcoming eclipse is called an annular eclipse. And so I could talk a little bit about what that word means. It doesn't mean yearly. Um, in fact, solar eclipses can occur as often as twice a year. They don't happen every month. They can happen as, as common as twice a year. But as you mentioned, they don't happen everywhere on the Earth. The, the shadow of the moon is actually quite small when it reaches the Earth. So there is a limited area on the Earth where you can see a given solar eclipse. Of course, it has to be daytime during the time that the eclipse is occurring for you to be able to see it. So half the Earth couldn't possibly see it. But even on the side that, that makes can a lot see of the sun, yeah. <laughs> but the side that yeah. can see the sun, not everyone will see it because the moon won't line up exactly from where they are. So, in those, so when you are, have a particular solar eclipse, you can go online and look at maps and they'll show you, looks like little strips that go across the earth. And that's actually the path of how the shadow will pass on the earth during that particular eclipse. So you need to be somewhere in that region if you want to be able to see something interesting. Who is going to be able to see the one on the 14th? Because I'm in the Northeast. I know I'm not going to be able to see it. But who is going to be able to see this one? So this is going to be mainly something that people can see in the Western United States. If you want to see the full eclipse, which we'll talk about what that means in a minute, uh, I'm looking at a map right now, and that'll pass through Oregon, Nevada, Utah, New Mexico, Texas, and then off into the Gulf of New Mexico. Um, People to the sides, there's sort of a strip there, and that's where we'll talk about this ring of fire. But if you're not in that path, you can still see the moon passing in front of the sun off to the side a little bit. It won't be passing directly through the middle of the sun from your viewpoint, but you'll still see a chunk of the sun being taken out over time and then see something else. Um, uh, But all the way out in the East Coast, that'll be very, you'll still be able to see maybe something. So it depends on where you are in the East Coast. You'll be able to see a little bit of the edge of the sun get eclipsed during the time there. So you can still do that with proper eye viewing, I must say first. You make sure that you have proper eye protection. You'll be able to look at that um, even as far out as the East Coast if you want to. Indeed. Please do not look directly at the sun in case you didn't know that. My favorite little thing that comes with telescopes is please do not point your telescope at the sun. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. As anyone who knows who's ever taken a magnifying glass and burned things using the sun, imagine doing that to your eye. You would <laughs> never want to do that. So uh, oh there, are, there are filters you can buy or there can be purchased that can filter the sun to look at through things. But most times people don't have those and telescopes don't usually come with them. Find, find a group, you know, an astronomy group that may have those. Search those out on the internet locally and you could then use their equipment because they know what they were doing. They use it properly. It's safe. But don't anyone else do that because that's even worse than staring at the sun with your own eyes. Yeah, I mean, I'm laughing at it, and I appreciated the disclaimer my telescope came with. For all of us who have, like, a little a little one at home to look at the moon with, you know, definitely do not point that at the sun. All right, so we've, we've given the obligatory disclaimer. Um, the, <laughs> so let's get into the, the different types of eclipses. So I always feel funny saying annual versus annular, because to me, I live in the Boston area, so I always feel like the Boston's coming out annula. And mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. it's not. It they, sounds they, like that. They are two different things. Right. <laughs> Just a little bit. And then there's also a partial total. All that. So yeah, please walk me through it. So actually, annular is a type of partial eclipse. A partial eclipse means that the entire bright surface of the sun, that the blinding part, is not going to be totally covered. So there's a total eclipse we'll talk about later, and there'll be an interesting example of that in uh, next spring. Uh, this will not be that. So there will always, for everybody who can see the sun, even in the middle path, um, see the eclipse, you will be able to still see part of the bright part of the sun, which means you must have eye protection at all times. But if you are in the central path, 
The moon is going to pass directly in front of the sun, but it won't be big enough because it's in its part of its orbit where it's a little bit closer, a little bit farther from the earth than average. So it looks a little bit smaller in the sky. It won't cover the whole disk of the sun. And you'll see a little ring of the sun still, even when the moon's directly in front of it. That ring is the shape of an annulus. So that's therefore an annular eclipse. And that's where that term comes from. And they, you know, the, the, the fancy term is ring of fire, but it's simply the sun that you can still see if you look at the eclipse during the middle part and the moon is right in front of it. For our friends who are not up on their Latin and annulus is a ring. Okay. <laughs> so if I understand correctly, you have, you have done some eclipse chasing in your life. Um, a little bit. Actually, the very first, I've, you know, I've seen lots of partial eclipses, you know, because again, you can see them from far away. I've seen an annular eclipse before, ironically, in Albuquerque. The very first one I ever saw was in 2012. It happened to directly pass over Albuquerque. And weirdly enough, this one will too. So Albuquerque got lucky in a way that happens to be sort of in the central uh, path of two different annual eclipses so close together. That's an unusual thing to happen. Um, the very first total eclipse I ever saw, I did travel like a lot of people did in the United States in 2017 to see the path of that total eclipse. And so I caught that in Nebraska. Um, and then more recently, a friend of mine who had graduated from uh, grad school with me invited uh, my family to go join him in Australia. Uh, we traveled out there to see the latest total solar eclipse, which was only viewable in a tiny little section of Australia. And so we traveled there in April and saw the total eclipse there as well. So there's people who do this all the time and they've seen them everywhere on the earth. So that's my minor uh, history of chasing. But then I hope to keep doing that um, next April when there's another one, not here in New Mexico, but close enough for this for me to go take a look at it. I'm curious because I've only seen a partial eclipse in my life and that was the 2017 one when I was up here. It was, it was partial. I, I remember the weird shadows on the ground, but I've never... I've. <laughs> I have only heard anecdotes of what it's like to see a total eclipse of any kind, and I'm just I'm just really curious what what it's like to experience that, like what you see. Yeah, I've seen the annular, and that was before I ever saw a total eclipse. And like I say, the whole sun doesn't get covered; like over ninety percent does. So you think, well, it must get really dark, and it surprisingly doesn't. If you're looking around, it's still very daylight, but it's a weird light even then. Like you said, it's kind of like a partial, but a very deep partial eclipse. Uh, where it almost seems like it's overcast, but you don't see any clouds. So it's like an eerie kind of light, but it's still pretty bright. But at a total, right at the very last minute or so, when those last parts of the bright part of the sun are getting covered, it, the light changes pretty rapidly. And it starts to go from that, what I, you know, we saw in the annular, to darkness. So when you finally have the moon totally covering the disk of the sun, the sky above you is dark. And you can see a few stars, you know, at least Venus, a couple of planets. Um, it's not totally black where you are. It's not like nighttime. It's really weird because you can see on the horizon light because what you are in at that moment is a tube of shadow, which is moving across the earth and it happens to be passing over you at that time. So all around you, miles and miles away, they're still in daylight. And you can see a ring of light. It almost looks like sunset all around you at that moment. So, um, but it's an odd feeling because then it's, it's dark and what you see in the sky, you can look at with your own eye. You don't need eye protection at that time. You can see the corona of the sun. That's a part of the sun you can't see because the sky is too bright and drowns it all out. But you can, at that time, see this weird glowy aura 
that it, it, with a black disc in the middle of it, just floating in the sky. It's a really odd sight and, and really cool. And you only get a few minutes to look at it before you have to put your eye protection back on. But, um, but, the, but the feeling is, is the same. And I've heard people say, like, it gets really cold. It does feel a little cooler, especially if you're in a place where the sun's beating down on you. Those last minute, you can actually tell that it gets a little bit chillier. Um, you know, at, you know, bird. You know, it seems like the birds get quiet or something. Uh, that might be just a feeling of. I was you know, sort of with people. You start to just get quiet. You just look at it like, ooh, that's weird, and they don't know what to do except to stare at it, which is really cool. So um, there's sort of this little hush, at least where I was, um, where that happens because everyone's you know, just staring at the sky. We'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and Zero Trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Welcome back. And... I'm a little envious of folks who are going to be able to see the annular eclipse happening tomorrow. I am absolutely nowhere near the eclipse path for this one, unfortunately. And I am doubly, if not triply, envious of anyone who's going to get to see the eclipse while riding on a hot air balloon. The annual international balloon fiesta that happens in Albuquerque, New Mexico, has been going on since the 9th of October, and it's continuing through this weekend. If you've ever seen photos of dozens and dozens of colorful and unusually shaped hot air balloons looming over a beautiful desert vista, that is probably a photo from the balloon fiesta. And if you're attending this year, you undoubtedly already know this, but for those of us who have it on our bucket list and are not going to be there this year, this year's festival is extra special. So attendees of this year's fiesta tomorrow will not only have a perfect vantage point to see the annular eclipse happening tomorrow morning, but the festival will also be taking advantage of the eclipse's darkness and lighting up more than 70 hot air balloons at once. It's called a balloon glow, if you want to use the official term, which is something that normally can only happen at night. So if you're going to be there and don't have safety gear for taking a look at the eclipse safely, don't worry. NASA's also going to be at the balloon fiesta, and they'll be giving out about 80,000 solar sunglasses for anyone who forgot theirs at home an annular solar eclipse over a massive hot air balloon festival on a Saturday, no less. I'm psyched for all the photographers who will be there, and I cannot wait to see the pictures. And yeah, feeling a wee bit envious of anyone who gets to be there in person. Just a bit. That's it for T-Miners for Friday, October the 13th, 2023. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at space at n2k.com or submit the survey in the show notes. 
Your feedback ensures we deliver the information that keeps you a step ahead in the rapidly changing space industry. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like T-Minus are part of the daily routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, from the Fortune 500 to many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth. Mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Karp. Our chief intelligence officer is Eric Tillman. And I'm Maria Varmazis. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Hey, listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now.